Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good evening to you. I am Jason Kong. Alongside me, the lovely Nicole Bruno representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Good evening, Nicole. So glad to be here. And oh boy, playing hurt today. <laughs> Stepping up, he's got his Snuggie on, a, a bowl yeah. of chicken soup. Yeah. Yeah. It's Cooper Linton. Cooper, good evening to you. No, I want to be sure I get this. Nicole is lovely, and I'm playing hurt. I just want to be clear how that we're putting this out there for the lay audience. That's all right. Guys. I, I think that's the most accurate description this evening. But no, I'm just giving you a hard time. And I know you're right. a little bit under the weather, but uh, we really appreciate you coming in and and shouldering the load for the show here. Well, actually, I wouldn't want to miss this show. I think this show is about something that uh, does not get the attention that it should, and it's a topic that has significant confusion in the marketplace. In the minds of consumers, consumers are often told on very short notice, you need a home health agency. Uh, You need to look at getting care in the home, and it seems overwhelming. It's confusing. There's a lot of uh, language that seems similar, and that adds to the confusion. And so we brought a couple guests on today that we think are uh, absolute experts in the matter and can help us do it, help us sort this out. One of them is Daniel Thompson. Uh, He is the Director of Performance Improvement and Education. That's actually all one title. It's a big Uh, card. It's a big card. Uh, It's it's really on like poster board. It's like on a novelty check. It is. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to do a big photo afterwards. (laughs) And he is with WellCare Home Health. We are also privileged to have Zach Long, who is the Chief Executive Officer and General Counsel for WellCare Home Health. Uh, And these folks are not brought on here by randomness. They actually have uh, shown exceptional scores uh, in Medicare Compare, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. But uh, welcome, you guys, to the show. Well, thank you very much for having us, Cooper. We uh, appreciate the invite, and we look forward to discussing with you today. Well, can we start with what's home health? I mean, let's just start with some fundamentals. What is home health, and what is home health not? I can take that one. Um, Home health is basically care provided in the home. Um, Typically provided um, after a patient can be discharged from home or coming out of out of a physician's office or even out of a school nursing facility. But it can it can be um, rehab. It can be nursing. It can be um, activities of daily living like bathing meal preparation. So the actual term home health or home care um, actually constitutes a lot and more than what a lot of people think. So Zach, when you say rehab, what are the components of rehab that we might see in the home? So I'll take that, Cooper. So we have a full suite of rehab services that we provide at WellCare. We've got uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech language pathology, is that the same thing as what we used to call speech therapy? Same thing, okay. speech therapy. Um, we've switched away from speech therapy because they do so much more than just helping people talk again, uh, what you typically hear after a stroke. They, they help with swallowing. They help with cognitive deficits. Help me um, eat better. Help me recover. Because if I can eat better, I can get well and get stronger. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, we have home health aid uh, services that we provide, uh, and we also have social workers. So uh, a full suite of rehab, um, almost anything that you can get uh, in a skilled nursing facility, uh, anything that you can get in a, an assisted living facility, and almost anything you can get in a hospital, you can get in your home now. 
So there's a lot of confusion out there among family caregivers. I work very closely with family caregivers about the difference between home health and private duty home care. A lot of people really get confused about you know, when is it appropriate for me to receive which and how many hours do I get each thing? Um, If you could talk a little bit about exactly what rehab is, and my understanding is that it's more restorative type care. So we're trying to improve, make gains on maybe something that was lost by an individual. Is that correct? Correct. So so typically what we think of as as home health or restorative care um, follows an incident or an exacerbation of an illness. So you've, you've had... Uh, a heart attack or you've had um, a congestive heart failure exacerbation where you've had a hospital stay or uh, maybe not even a hospital stay. Maybe you've, you've been ill and gone into your physician's office and they've and they've asked home health to come out and um, get you back to your level of function that you were at before. So get you back to where you were previously. Um, so, that that, tip- so then when you get to that level, you're at uh, where you were at before and then, but you still feel like you want more help. Is that sort of when it moves into more of that different type of care, that private duty home care scenario? Exactly. And with that private duty home care scenario, we also cover that at WellCare. We have okay. a, a home care side. Uh, you do deal with different payers at that time. Um, Talk Medicare, to us about that. Sure, sure. Medicare typically pays for your restorative services. So, and, and there are a number of payers that pay for your restorative service. Medicare, mm-hmm. uh, Medicaid will pay for restorative services. Private pay. Um, private insurances, Medicare Advantage plans, all will pay for the restorative services. Uh, and, th- and there are probably several more that I could name. I don't want to take up all the time. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, when you get into the long-term care services, uh, the private duty aids, things like that, you do have a more limited pool. Uh, Medicaid is a big payer. Mm-hmm. Um, VA, uh, certain private insurances will, will pay for that. And private pay also is a large payer for, for those services as well. So when we're moving into, you know, I want somebody to be there with my mom just for their safety and prepare a meal and get them up and dressed and do some socialization, that's where we're moving into that private pay type scenario. Because we have a lot of families that call us and they're very confused. They think because they were receiving some of that um, personal care on home health that that would continue afterwards and be paid for by Medicare. And they're quite surprised that suddenly they're paying $20, $22, $24 an hour for this custodial level care. Exactly. During that restorative phase, Medicare will pay for home health aid to assist with what we call activities of daily living, which are Mm -hmm. what you're describing. Mm -hmm. Bathing, helping to get dressed, things like that. But once that patient reaches a a level of functioning that they were at before, um, Mm -hmm. Medicare will no longer pay for those aid services. And that's when you kind of hit, okay, well, what other payer sources can we tap into to potentially to help with that patient? So how do you feel about the term post-acute? I keep hearing this word, this term thrown around, post-acute, and it gets challenged a little bit, saying why are we having to wait until after there's been this acute episode, after the heart attack or the stroke or or the fall that you mentioned? Um, Is there an opportunity for home health to be pre-acute? The short answer to that is yes, absolutely. That's not a term that we love at WellCare because to me it's it's subacute. It you know when you look at all of the the full scope of a patient's needs, that can very well be pre-acute during the acute phase as well as on the post-acute side. Uh, now traditionally, um, you know especially with home health, the traditional setting or the traditional timing on that has been post-acute. But we're having you know a lot of really exciting conversations about 
um, getting involved earlier on a preventative basis, on a disease management basis, so that you avoid the entire acute part of the episode altogether. And that's what it's all about. And for our audience out there, when we use the term acute, that's essentially the industry lingo for meaning you're in the hospital. Um, we talk about the acute setting being the hospital and then the post-acute or subacute being services that are generally thought of to be community-based. They could be home health. They could be home care, private duty, like Nicole mentioned earlier. Uh, or they could be associated with assisted living or nursing home. And one of the discussions that's been in the industry a lot is how do we use home health in a way to avoid engagement with the hospital in the first place if the person, if, if your patient, your loved one, is showing symptoms that give you an indication, hey, we ought to be doing something. If we do something now, we can avoid going to the hospital. It's that old ounce of prevention versus pound of cure. We've actually developed programs at WellCare, such as our Beyond Balance Fall Prevention Program, that is especially targeted towards preventing falls before they actually lead to a major injury. Uh, particularly with the elderly patients that we serve, a fall can lead to a hip fracture, which can be pain, it can be a prolonged hospitalization, and potentially death. So what we're looking for is to prevent that before we get to a, a, an area where the patient has a major issue. Our guests this evening are Zach Long. He's the CEO of WellCare Health and uh, Daniel Thompson, the Director of Performance Improvement and Education, also with WellCare Health. And we'll continue our discussion on home health here on Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, and Cooper Linton. Alongside me, our guests this evening are from WellCare Health, and we've been speaking with Zach Long, who's the Chief Executive Officer and General Counsel, as well as Daniel Thompson, who's the Director of Performance Improvement and Education. And Nicole, we're, we're talking all about home health, and uh, I've, I've given Google a serious workout here trying to <laughs> keep up with some of these terms and and prospects but I, I can understand why this would be so confusing for someone new to a home health situation or you know getting out of acute care and, and just trying to you know understand the landscape of this because uh, we've been at this for 10 minutes and I'm still scratching my head a little bit. I mean, let's just think about a very, pretty much now a simple procedure these days, getting a knee replaced. And that's something that faces a lot of people middle-aged and on up. And people are given a few different options after their knee replacement. They can do an inpatient rehab setting, they can do an outpatient rehab setting, or they can have home health. So I'm kind of curious, gentlemen, you know, how do people make that choice? And what would you suggest that people think about when they're trying to make the choice of what's the best fit for them? Sure. So with those three scenarios, when you're, when you're talking about an inpatient rehab setting, essentially what you're talking about is um, what's traditionally associated with a nursing home. Uh, where, you're, where you're going into a facility and you're staying, uh, you're staying you know, overnight. Um, during the day you go in, you have your uh, therapy services provided at that facility. Um, and then once you have reached a level where they, they deem that you're appropriate to go back home uh, and, and go to therapy on an outpatient basis, basis, then you start your outpatient therapy and you go home. Um, an outpatient setting uh, would be uh, where you're discharged home uh, and then you schedule your rehab or your therapy services at a, at a therapy clinic or a physical therapy clinic. 
Um, and you drive to the clinic or you have someone drive you, yeah. most likely. <laughs> Depends on what you need is, I <laughs> guess. Depending on how many medicines you're on or how brave you're feeling. Um, you will uh, drive yourself to the clinic, receive your therapy services, and drive home. Um, the home With the home health option, uh, what happens there is that we actually have the physical therapist, occupational therapist, nursing services actually come to your home and provide that therapy. Um, so some things you want to take into consideration, uh, first off, you know, physician preference always, always plays a role. Mm-hmm. Certain, certain physicians are going to drive patients in a certain direction. Um, but it's important to remember that the patient always has a choice. Uh, and, and patient's choice is, is taking an increased importance in uh, everything with healthcare. And, and we want our patients to have an informed choice, and, and we're going to speak about that some. Um, but, you know, if, if for you, the most important thing is for you to be comfortable uh, for you to be home uh, in a setting where where you can heal, uh, where you're not exposed to um, germs or bacteria, mm-hmm. um, you know, that could potentially, we, we hear all the scary stories about um, antibiotic resistant mm-hmm. bacteria that are that are present in, in healthcare facilities, um, you know, home health might be the choice for you. So then... On the other side, being a little devil's advocate here, I often hear the term associated with home health as being homebound. So that, I think, sometimes scares people because they think, well, if I'm getting in this situation where I have home health, that sounds great. Who wouldn't want to have all that done? But I can't leave my house. Is that a myth or is that a fact? Yeah. uh, You know, homebound status, it is a criteria for home health. Medicare does say that, you know, uh, our patients can't or must be homebound. Um, the myth associated with that is that doesn't mean that you are, you know, uh, locked into your house that when the nurse leaves or the therapist leaves that they're going to take a key with them and, and they're going to put an ankle bracelet on you and make sure that you don't ever leave the house. Um, it's not house arrest. It's it is not bound. house arrest. Yeah. There is a very important distinction there. Um, what it does mean is that it must be a taxing effort in the eyes of your caregivers and in the eyes of Medicare, the payer, uh, for you to leave the home. So uh, what does that mean? It means that uh, maybe you need an assistive device to leave the home. Maybe it's an extraordinary effort for you to leave the home. Maybe you need a caregiver to assist you to leave the home. Um, and a physician has to certify that you need home health. So those two criteria must be in place. But again, that does not mean that you don't leave the house. And if I recall, Daniel, uh, absences that were related to receiving medical care or uh, for religious purposes have typically been excluded from a concern about jeopardizing someone's homebound status. So if they went to church or they went to the doctor, um, and these were short trips, uh, they were infrequent, that person was still considered homebound. And I think sometimes people are afraid if they they use the term homebound, that means they lose their social network through their faith community, uh, that they're not going to be able to access their physician, but those just simply are not true. Exactly. And, and we realize the important uh, importance of maintaining that social network when you're healing. That's, that's just as an important part as the medical care that you're receiving. So we do not want to cut that off. Well, in fact, a lot of these folks, if part of their nutritional uh, needs may actually be met through their faith community. I know a lot of ch- churches put together meal, meal groups, and that's how they take care of one another. So can we talk for a minute about the five-star? We mentioned that earlier going into this, uh, the first segment. Can we talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a five-star agency? Sure. Um, so a few years back, <clears throat> Medicare decided that they were going to start rating agencies based on uh, certain outcomes or performance measures. Uh, it's a pretty complex formula that they use. It's based on nine different measures that includes, you know, how quickly can you get out to admit a patient? 
Um, how well do you improve a patient on different factors, such as how well do they walk when you started taking care of them and how well do they walk when you stop taking care of them? How well do you improve their pain? How well do you do at keeping them out of the hospital? How well do you do at teaching them how to use their medications? So there are a lot of different factors and, and Medicare calculates those percentages and compares you to other agencies uh, and then puts it into a formula uh, that basically boils down to a five-star rating uh, with half-star intervals um, and posts it publicly. So on you could the, be a two and a half. You don't have to be a two or a three. You could be a half. Okay. Exactly. So anywhere from you know uh, one star all the way up to five stars with five stars being the top ranking. Uh, in North Carolina, there are five five-star agencies in the state. Uh, WellCare is very proud to have two of those five agencies in Wilmington, North Carolina, and in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's exceptional. So you just mentioned Raleigh. You mentioned Wilmington. Could you tell us a little bit about the service areas that WellCare covers? And so service lines, service areas, essentially, where do you go and what do you do? WellCare currently serves uh, 42 or 43 counties across North Carolina. Uh, we started in southeastern North Carolina, and you know, especially over the last five years, we've grown westward across the state, as far west as it, what we refer to as our triad market. Um, so that's as far west as Iredale County, Davie County, Yatkin County, um, certainly Forsyth and, and Guilford. Um, and across that service area, we offer complement or a, a comprehensive scope of our services, as Daniel mentioned, skilled nursing, um, therapy, uh, medical social work, um, speech therapy. Daniel, earlier on, you and I were having a sidebar conversation. We always say that the conversations in between segments are sometimes more valuable than ones that our listeners get a chance to hear. You had mentioned talking about partnering with different organizations. I know you guys had done a partnership down in Wilmington to address end-of-life care needs, and then up here in Raleigh, you've actually partnered with Transitions Life Care to do that. Can you talk a little bit about that from the home care perspective? Sure, absolutely. Uh, during the course of our care with our patients, one of the things that we have discovered is that when we're caring for these chronic illnesses, <clears throat> sometimes through the course of the care, we, what we encounter is that we start to see a pattern with our patients where we see a pattern where the, they start to go, they start to plane off. We start to see hospitalizations increase. Symptoms get to be harder and harder to control. And we realize that we're approaching an end-of-life scenario for that patient. Um, at that time, it's important for our home health agency to recognize that home health is no longer the appropriate setting for our patient. Um, and for us, for our agency, it's important that, that we realize that just as important as, as providing excellent care, it's important to our, the patients that we do have, it's important that we have excellent care for the patients that are, that, I'm sorry, think through. So just as important as providing excellent care for our patients, we want to make sure they're in the appropriate care setting. So we have partnered with what we consider excellent organizations across our service area to make sure that we refer them to the appropriate uh, care setting. And, and we've started that partnership with the palliative care program uh, and the hospice bridge program here in Raleigh with Transitions Life Care, where when we start to see that pattern, that end of life approach, we start to re we have a referral process and, and we can get hospice involved or the palliative care program involved. And gentlemen, if folks want to find more information about WellCare Health, what's the best way to do that? 
The first place I would start would be our website, which is wellcarehealth.com. We're also active on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, as well as several other social media channels. Very good. Again, that is wellcarehealth.com if you're looking for more information. Hey, big thanks to uh, to you, Daniel Thompson, Director of Performance Improvement and Education, and Zach Long, Chief Executive Officer of Wellcare Health. Thank you both so much for joining us this evening. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. We'll be back in just a bit. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF, and uh, I am Jason Kong. Good evening to you. Nicole Bruno here alongside me, representing both Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. And Nicole, we've got uh, a great guest in from the uh, Transitions Life Care campus, and that is Mark Philbrick, who is the Director of Education and Volunteer Services. And we're going to be talking all about veterans. We sure are. But, you know, after that introduction, I felt like you should have said heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> well, that's just implied. Everyone knows that, but you're or right. Maybe, I should have said Or maybe that. banter wait for me. <laughs> well, it's so great to have you here, Mark. And you know, there's a topic that is so near and dear to my heart, honestly, is the, the topic of veterans and how do we honor veterans. And I love the fact that Transitions Life Care really takes special pride and a lot of time to honor veterans in our community. If you wouldn't mind, talk to us a little bit about that We Honor Veterans program. Sure, Absolutely. There are 22 million veterans in the United States. Wow. And now we know that about one in four hospice patients are veterans. 1,800 veterans die every day. Oh, my gosh. 1,000 World War II veterans are dying every day. Wow. And the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization wanted to do a movement to honor people before they died who served our country. So we're part of the We Honor Veterans movement. We started in 2012 doing one-on-one honoring ceremonies. We train 15 veterans as volunteers to honor veterans one-on-one. We do a ceremony um, with the patient and their family, presenting them a certificate of appreciation for their service to the country. We do a little pinning ceremony Mm -hmm. with an American flag, and we have a bedside flag that we give the veterans. Wow. That's really special. So, if if you couldn't, if you wouldn't mind anecdotally sharing, you know, what has that experience been like for some of these families and veterans? It's uh, really an amazing experience. Uh, my own experience. My father was a hospice patient in two thousand four, and that was my first exposure to hospice. And he was a World War II veteran. He had served in the South Pacific in landing Marines in five invasions and never spoke of it personally. Mm. He had a samurai sword and a Japanese rifle in the closet. And it wasn't until the last week of life where he felt um, ready to share about his experience. And it, like my own experience, many of these veterans have not shared their stories with their families, but they'll share it with another veteran. Mm-hmm. And by having a veteran come and spend time with them, it's often the first time the families had heard the stories about what these men and women had done to serve their country. So has the experience uh, been basically, at least my experience as well, with working with veterans is that they just sort of lock it away. That's correct. And they just kind of move on with their lives. And, you know, I think back then there really wasn't a lot of services and support for veterans to really take the time to process that. Absolutely. Um, Stoicism is a core Mm-hmm. value they put in the veterans yeah. not to complain not to you know um 
to suck it up. Mm-hmm. And they do that emotionally. And many times they hold these things inside their entire lives. And we've seen this also surface recently with the Vietnam veterans. The average age of the Vietnam veterans is now over 65 years old. Mm-hmm. And as they enter this population, there's 7.9 million Vietnam veterans. And many of them have post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. from their experiences and service. And they've been pushing that down for many years. But as they approach the end of life and begin to process the meaning of their life and what they did, a lot of these things of guilt or shame may may surface. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity to honor them um, for their service and allow them an opportunity to be honored without shame and with regret. Well, and I think with the Vietnam veterans, which is um, just a very sad case, is they came home not as heroes. I mean, I think that's probably been the only group of servicemen and women that came back kind of with their heads down. Absolutely. We've had people share stories about how when they uh, were flying back, and they many, many of them, they didn't come back as units. They came back as individuals mm-hmm. into their communities, sometimes greeted at the airport by protesters, people spitting at them, mm-hmm. calling them baby killers. Yeah. Um, and the vast majority of these people didn't do this voluntarily. They were drafted into the Right, service. exactly. So I know that at Transitions Life Care, in addition to doing these individual pinning cer- ceremonies, there are also some larger group events that are held each year. Talk to us a little bit about those. Yes, uh, we began to realize that many of the veterans are living in assisted living facilities, nursing homes, and as we serve our patients in hospice at these facilities, we saw an opportunity to honor them as a group. Mm -hmm. And so every uh, Veterans Day now, we go to uh, do ceremonies recognizing the veterans. Uh, This year, we went to 10 different locations we honored over 500 veterans wow. in these honoring ceremonies, and the facilities now have embraced this. So we've been doing this for the past four years, and they celebrate with uh, red, white, and blue cakes and cupcakes. <laughs> um, now we've also seen these facilities have a wall of honor mm. where they have the photos of these men and women who served in uniform from many decades before. And it, it's really heartening to see how much uh, they appreciate the the public recognition and also their families making an event as well. I've also seen uh, some of the long-term care communities, and I'm not sure if this is part of the We Honor Veterans program, but actually doing some journaling or um, recording of some of these stories because, again, you know, especially these World War II veterans, as you said, that the rate that they're, which they're passing every day, a lot of this history is going to be gone. Absolutely. We... Um, I did that personally with my father. I recorded his stories I uh, have on videotape, and then I just transferred them to DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of our program is also capturing the legacy of these yes. men and women. So mm-hmm. we do have volunteers who will record their stories and put it on a DVD, a CD, in order to have a keepsake for the families that are left behind. So based on the statistics, it makes sense that Transitions Life Care would want to do a program like this, but what was sort of the passion behind it? I think that as a country, Mm -hmm. that we've begun to realize the importance of honoring those who served. Uh, The passion for me personally is seeing what a difference it made for my own father and, um, and hearing the stories of these other family members who, for the first time, realized what sacrifices they made. Also honoring the families themselves because they sacrificed with their loved ones being in a way 
uh, during their time of service. So I guess as a, as a son who heard these stories for the first time, there are probably a lot of families every single day in very similar situations when people are doing their final life reviews before they pass, some things come out. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend that a family prepare themselves and responds to some of these things that they're hearing so that makes that veteran feel comfortable during their last days and hours? What I found and what we see is the importance of non-judgment mm-hmm. to let them share their stories and their experiences without judgment. Um, Check your facial expressions at the door. Absolutely. <laughs> and be open to hear some pretty amazing things. Mm-hmm. They're very humble in a lot of the things that they've done. Mm-hmm. Also, we see people who served but didn't think their service was that important. Exactly. People who were cooks mm-hmm. or clerks. Um, and understanding that for every man that was on the front line, there were nine men and women behind them mm-hmm. supporting them mm-hmm. in their efforts. The other thing that we discovered is only one, uh, about one-third of veterans have any awareness about their death and burial benefits. Oh, wow. And so we have had volunteers work with us to consolidate information from the Veterans Administration into a death benefits booklet mm-hmm. with all the forms to be able to walk somebody through the process before they're in a crisis to make sure that the family can fully take advantage of the death and burial benefits they receive. That makes a whole lot of sense. So I guess one of the final questions that I have is, you know, I'm, you know, you're the director of education and volunteer services. If folks listening, perhaps they're veterans and they wanted to get more involved in honoring veterans, how would they go about doing that? Uh, we always are looking for new volunteers. Mm-hmm. We cover seven counties. In addition to Wake County, we have Durham County, Franklin County, Johnson County. Arnett County, Orange (laughs) County, Chatham County, and we're looking for volunteers in those areas who have an interest in in honoring veterans, and we would train them on how to do these ceremonies. The other thing that is important is we do have a veteran's garden with memorial bricks that people can purchase a brick to honor their loved one. It's $150 for a small brick and $300 for a large brick, and that money goes into purchasing the materials we need to continue honoring veterans at end of life. That's awesome. That's very great. And is there a way that people can get a hold of you to find more information? Or uh, what's the best way to do that? Best way to do that is to go on our website, transitionslifecare.org. And there is a volunteer button where they can sign up to volunteer. And there's also information there specifically about our We Honor Veterans program. Fantastic. Again, that is transitionslifecare.org for more information. We'll also have that on the Aging Matters section of WPTF.com. Matt Philbrick, thank you, or Mark Philbrick, thank you so much for joining us. I, I changed your name there for a second, but uh, right, we changed worse. it back. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been an honor. Thank you. We've got to take a quick break, but after that, we'll be talking all about Medicare. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. A service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. Hey, you kids settle down over here. Cooper and Nicole acting up during the break. 
<laughs> I'm Jason Kong, trying to keep this cast each other in line. The table. Yes, I know, I know. I, I feel like a an old nerd dad trying to scream at his kids at the middle of dinner. No dessert for you two. She's on my side. That's right. Well, uh, let, we'll get back to more serious stuff here, I guess. And you know, we we had a show a few weeks ago all about Medicare and Cooper. The Medicare enrollment period is still open now. It's going through December seventh. It is still open, and, and one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show, and while we you know we try and have a little fun while we're doing it, the reality is it's a pretty serious thing, which is how's care paid for? It is one of the first questions we hear from caregivers, from patients. There's this anxiety and fear that they're not going to be able to afford things, that they don't have proper coverage for things. Um, it is a fear of the unknown. And so this is a great time of year to really address that anxiety and that fear head on. Uh, the fall of the year is when Medicare has open enrollment, to your point, Jason. We also have the ACA plans that are beginning their enrollment now. And uh, for the folks that are not used to ACA plans, more commonly known as Obamacare plans, but these are the health exchange plans that are available to folks that may not have coverage elsewhere. Um, at the same time, many employers, and there's a little bit of variation on when this happens, but many employers have open enrollment for their employer-based health care plans. Uh, and so if you work for somebody that has a plan or multiple plans, now's the time to actually take a look at the stuff that the Human Resources Department has or that your employer has for you and read it. It's, it, it is readable. <laughs> it, it, it's, they usually have a, a grid of benefits, mm -hmm. and you can take a look and say, you know, what is covered, what is not covered? This can be as simple as uh, the ubiquitous Blue Cross Blue Shield plans in North Carolina or it could be as specific as a special needs Medicare Advantage plan that you're taking a look at. But now is the time to get your health care financial house in order. Take some time. It's easier to handle this stuff than it is to fret about it for the next 12 months. So take a look at those plans. Take a look at what's covered. And if you have choices to make, be able to make those choices in an informed manner because it's not always the cheapest plan is the best plan. What are your coverage needs? What are the, what's the care that you anticipate? And what can you afford to spend on that? And what can you afford to have uninsured? Some people intentionally say, I don't want coverage for everything, and they go for a plan that may cost less and cover less. There's nothing irrational about that. Just make sure you're going into it in a thoughtful manner that you've really looked at it. And it's not just, well, that was cheap, so I signed up for it. Well, and I think if you're a caregiver and you're trying to help your uh, older adult care receiver try to navigate some of these roads with these Medicare plans, it's really important to start looking at it now instead of like the last three days of open enrollment. Because the people you're going to be talking to on the phone are going to be stressed. There's going to be lines of calls. And so if you have questions, again, we're always beating the drum to this. Try to be proactive instead of reactive. Because when you're in a crisis and at the last minute, the 11th hour, you realize, oh, shoot, I haven't done this yet it's going to be a lot more stress-inducing for you and the one you're caring for. Well, less than half of people actually have the plans in place that they need. 
when it comes time to look at healthcare issues and particularly the longer term aging issues. And, mm-hmm. and for the longer term aging issues, there's no way to separate the Medicare plans from that. You almost everyone in this country is going to be covered under Medicare. It's not a hundred percent, but it's very high percentage. Medicare is covering that. And that means that you also have some choices to make uh, regarding the multitude of part Medicare Part B plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also the supplemental insurance policies that then augment those Part B plans and also some A. Uh, and then in addition to that, there are the Medicare Advantage plans. And the prescription plans. And the prescription plans. Which so to, it's which not to, one size fits all. Which to Van Braxton's point with SHIP, you know, he was saying a lot of people just continue the course. They feel like they go through this great process of deciding when they first get on Medicare and then they just leave it all ride. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is these plans change every single year. What they cover and what they don't cover changes every single year. So if you're a listener out there and you feel like that Nicole and I are harping on this whole Medicare plan. (laughs) We are. We're harping on this. Yes, we are. We are trying to get people to really be intentional, be thoughtful, be proactive, have their plans in place, know what's covered, make intelligent decisions for themselves or their loved ones. For those of you that want some help with Medicare open enrollment, there's a toll-free number that you can call in North Carolina. And you can get an online operator who can walk you through this, and there is no charge for calling. That number is 855-408-1212. Again, it's 855-408-1212. That's for assistance looking at the Medicare plans that are out there, whether that's Medicare Advantage, Part A, Part B, the Part D plans, the prescription ones that uh, Nicole just mentioned, you don't have to go it alone. There are folks that can walk you through this. You don't have to be the expert. North Carolina, your tax dollars have have got experts out there working for you. Let them help you. Yeah, and this is a uh, this is. I know you guys say oh, you're harping on it, but you guys have been in this game long enough that you've seen and heard some oh, real horror stories yeah. yeah and and i mean you're talking about taking uh, hopefully just a few hours maybe a few days to decide something mm-hmm. that if you don't or if you pick make the wrong choice you're talking about a financial catastrophe huge on your hands. financial crises yeah. and you know and typically older adults are living on a fixed income mm-hmm. and then when suddenly their medicines can't be covered the way that or they are they're covered in some way but not the way they need them to be covered Folks start making decisions. Do I take my medicine or do I pay for my heat or do right. I eat? And then that just perpetuates the healthcare crisis. And then they're not taking their medicines. Maybe they're taking their blood pressure pill every other day to make that prescription stretch for two months because they can't afford the copays. And then you end up with people in the hospital. And then they're ending the rehab centers and the assisted living communities. And perhaps that all could have been stopped had they had the proper coverage and would have been able to afford it. Well, realistically, there can be thousands of your personal dollars at oh, stake. Tens of thousands in some based, cases. <laughs> absolutely. Based on the decisions you make regarding these insurance plans. And, you know, be informed. Give it several hours of intense looking at so that when you walk into this, you're making a choice that you know why you made it, how you made it, and you're doing something that's acting in your interest. This is your chance to take control of as much as you can of your own health care financial destiny. And I think for those who are relying on the Obamacare as well, it just, you know, might come to a surprise if you typically enroll for that later on versus earlier. That's only six weeks this year. In, norm, in years past, it's been 12. 
90% of people that are signing up for those plans in North Carolina, at least last year, received some form of subsidy. So if you're concerned that you can't pay for it, call uh, the uh, lines that have the um, uh, guidance on on how to uh, pick an Obamacare plan or an ACA plan. Take a look at the options. Look at what some of the subsidies may be. Uh, and also look at uh, getting help with the exemptions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of advertisements right now, so it's easy to find out where to call. But there can also be assistance with getting exemptions so that you may not be caught up in the penalties in the event that you chose not to go on an ACA plan. So I think the message of the day is do not delay. Do not delay. <laughs> move Copyright forward. That. I think so. <laughs> move forward. Make a decision. Don't procrastinate it. This is the time of year you need to make these decisions. And uh, we encourage you to, again, call uh, the Medicare helpline in North Carolina, 855-408-1212, if you need help on those Medicare plans. Again, that number is 855 408 one two one two and again a, a wealth of information there uh, i think van said they've got about 13 people manning the phones he's even jumping on and, mm-hmm. and helping out as he well so. to do it. he says he it's one of the, his favorite parts of the job yeah and I, I i don't blame him he's a he's a very personable guy and i can yeah. see uh his willingness to want to help people and lead them in the right direction uh, i could definitely see him doing that a big thanks again to our guest this evening dr jolly if you missed any part of our discussion on breast cancer you can head on over to wptf.com head over to the aging matters section and you can listen to this entire program and every other program that we've done if you want to catch the medicaid program that we did with the aforementioned van braxton you can do that right now uh, you know why wait go listen to it listen to more do of, not delay that's right man we need to uh, trademark that and, and build wptf for it no <laughs> uh, someone's knocking on the door here i think i'm in trouble but we are out of time on behalf of cooper linton and nicole bruno i am jason conk thank you guys so much for listening and gals too i don't want to exclude anyone but thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it you guys make this program a lot of fun and we we really appreciate the listener engagement and interaction with you guys Um, You you make this a lot of fun for us. So uh, please join us again next week, Saturday at 7. We do this every week. It's Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.